One more time to settle me. Prayer, please. Father, we thank you that we could come here this morning as we open your word. We ask that you would work your Holy Spirit through all of us. Open our minds and our hearts to your word. Lord, use me uh, to bring uh, your word together in such a way that we can understand. We ask again that through the Holy Spirit. And uh, all of this we commit to you in Jesus' name. My draw, <laughs> you know, I, I look at it, some, you know, we've been going through these different topical sermons on discipline. And, and so I, I, I said my draw, and, and the reason why I say that is that I, I have the sermon on stewardship. And uh, what's the first thing we think of when, when somebody starts to talk about stewardship? Yeah, money and, and, and how much, okay? And I am not going to make anything light of that in the sense that uh, I believe there's a principle in the Scripture in reference to the tithe, but the New Testament does not demand that one way or the other. It demands a giver who is clear of his conscience as to what he is giving and has decided what he is giving, or she. And so... I don't, it's something that, that we do not make a, uh, a big issue out of. Uh, I am, I believe that giving is between you and the Lord. I think that if you go to Scripture and you, and you choose to study it, that you'll find from Old and New Testament that, that the idea is generosity. And the idea more than anything is to start at the root of what stewardship is, and that's to understand who owns what. Okay? And so, today as we, we look at this, I would say the stewardship is about money, yes, but that's really not the biggest part of it. It really isn't. I've had people, you know, even in, in sermons say, Show me your checkbook and I'll show you your faith, you know, type of thing. And uh, I know one person who uh, uh, wanted to be in a leadership role in a church. And the requirement was that those people in leadership all were, if you will, bona fide tithers. <laughs> you, know, you know, in other words, you, you declared your income within the framework of the board uh, of a particular elder, and, and he could check and see if you were giving accordingly. And if you weren't, you weren't uh, asked to be on leadership role. And there was one guy that absolutely deserved in all respects to be in a leadership role, but he believed so strongly that giving was between him and God that he gave in cash. And it couldn't be validated. And uh, I, I absolutely respected that person. I, I just, it, it was the, the epitome to me of, of a person who understood giving. And I happen to know because I know him personally that he is a generous giver. Far beyond what people would have expected or known of him. 
So, yeah, we talk about money and, and tithing and, and this type of thing. Like I said, I do believe that tithing is a biblical principle. People say, oh, it's part of the law and we're not under the law. Tithing began before the law. Talk about Abraham and Melchizedek. Melchizedek being a type of Christ, Abraham tithed to him. So, I'm, you know, I can get sidetracked on that today, but what I really want to talk about is that we look at who, like I said, who owns what, you know? And we started this morning with a scripture from Psalm 24. And uh, if, if you want to, to turn to that, it, it, I'm only going to be there for a few minutes. But uh, Psalm 24, is, uh, which has already been read this morning, it says, starts off, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Who owns the earth? God. The fullness thereof means everything on it. Everything on it. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. The population of the world belongs to God. When it talks about leadership and all these different things, it, 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 it even tells us that God's involved as to who gets to be king and who doesn't, basically. You know, um, and if we, you know, I, I, I think of, you know, being a, a, a social science, political science major and a humanities minor and, and all this stuff where you, you look at it and you look at history and you think, oh my gosh, there have been so many terrible leaders. The reason why there have been so many terrible leaders was that, there, that there's terrible sin in the world. We've rebelled against God. Okay? And so the condition of the world as we look at it, even though we say the world belongs to God, something in particular God did in reference to His possessions. And that's what we're going to look at as far as understanding stewardship today. And so, I told you we'd only be there for a, a, a short time. Uh, we just you know, established that God is the owner. He, you know, he's the source and foundation of all wealth and power. He is the ruler. He's the sovereign. He is the final authority in all things. Uh, God delegates, however, His authority. And we are to manage his resources, and that's what I want to look at this morning. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Can't uh, get any closer to the beginning than the beginning. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and, and, and God made a very clear statement in reference to his creation in in uh, in creating men. Uh, verse 26 of chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and, the wor- and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. Let them have charge. Let them have stewardship over all that there is. Genesis 1 says that, that 
you know, man created, God created man, and He gave him responsibility. He gave him stewardship over the earth. God created it. He owns it. See, this is what you have to understand about, a, about stewardship. Stewardship is one, uh, a steward is a person who is, uh, in, in, if you will, the, a, an appointed governor, manager, or person in charge appointed by a higher authority. And there is no higher authority than God. And, and obviously what the idea is, is that he appointed man to be in charge of his possession of the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that uh, uh, God had created, you know, it was in the process of creation, uh, and, it, and it's, this is the recording of the details of the creating of, of man and woman. Verse 5, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was go, going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man where he... The, Excuse me. There he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the of uh, the ground the Lord God made it to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the the rivers that flowed, and all of the rest of the description that goes on. All of that is, in a sense, a reference to the sixth day of creation. And it's an amazing thing. I, I was listening to uh, and, 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 uh, and reading some things, some things that Tim Keller, Timothy Keller had written in reference to creation, but, but looking at the, these particular verses, saying, you know, God had worked. God worked. God, you know, he, he actually he planted the garden. Now, I, some people say, well, how did he plant it? I, I don't know. But it's not the same as the rest of the creation where he said, God said, and it was there. It says, this he planted. Talk about something. I, I want you to understand how much God loves us. How much God loves man. In the sense that what he wanted was a, the perfect environment, the perfect place to put man. And so he, he, he planted the garden for man. He created man from the dust. And, and again, I get this picture of, 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 of somebody working with, with clay, you know. Uh, you can't do that without your hands doing what? Getting dirty. And, and it was something that, again, uh, Keller pointed out. He says, can you picture God with dirt under his fingernails? You know, and we can get into all sorts of side issues with that. Uh, the idea is, the, is that God was intimately involved. He just didn't say, oh, and let there be man. He formed man. And you notice it says he formed him in, and he was talking as far as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our image. Able to think, able to reason, able to create, if you will, in the sense of building, making, 
doing, more planting, you know, this type of thing. All of the studies that, that, that you can do about some of the, the smartest animals, interestingly enough, the, the dolphins still come high in the category. Uh, and, and they are amazing creatures. I don't know how many of you have had opportunities to see them in the wild versus seeing them in captivity in the way they perform and stuff and like that. I've had the opportunity to see them in the wild. And in the wild, they do all the same tricks that they do in the pool, in, in, the, in the aquariums. They, and once they see, at least, at least in the Santa Barbara Channel, once they would see uh, a boat coming, they would come over and actually perform. They, they enjoyed, uh, you know, and, and I don't know whether they enjoyed it because they knew that we were going to chum or, or, or uh, but, but uh, you know, they were smart enough to figure that out then, you know. But no animal was created with the ability to think and reason like man does. And when he, God breathed into man, it says He created the rest of the animals, it says He breathed His breath into the nostrils of man. Again, such an intimate picture of, of, of such a precise image to give to us of how much God loves us. So the owner of all creation, the creator of all things, who owns the world and everything thereon and all the people, turned around and said, I'm going to give you, man, dominion. There is no other creature on earth who is related to me like you are. There is no other creature on earth created in my image like you are. Puts all of the animal worship in the world down right there. I, I, the, the, the first verses of the Bible... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form, void, and darkness. Over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And it says again, God said, let there be light. It's the idea of, of, of again, out of nothing, God creating all these things. By the way, just a side note here. Have you, if you need to pay attention to, to what was created here. Beginning. Beginning. Time. The heavens, space, the earth, matter. There's the idea of, of uh, hovering over the waters and then the light. All of those things essential for life to exist. God was from the very beginning putting it together for who? For us. He was creating an environment you know, they, we look at all of these planets in our solar system and they all appear to be uh, hostile to anything that man could endure. No, no way to survive unless we did something you know, uh, you know, that created an environment that man could live in and then it would be limited to that space. But He created the earth 
in a way that would allow us to flourish. Every kind of, of, of food that man would need was available to him. People ask if Adam and Eve were vegetarians at this point. The answer is yes. What does that have to do with eating meat? I'm not going to get into the sidetrack of that. All I'm going to say, though, is that Randy Alcorn presented an interesting point. I don't know if you know who Randy Alcorn is, but he wrote the book Heaven, and he does he has the Bible series that's taught on, on heaven. It's really, really good. And one of the things that he says was, you know, he said, Something, and I can't remember specifically, but at one point I, I recall whether it was something that I had heard otherwise or on the tapes that he gives with the, the lessons or the, the tapes that shows how old I am. Um, he said, you've never tasted the best strawberry yet. And then he corrected that. He says, you've never tasted your favorite food yet. Because in heaven, yeah. And then he pointed out, he says, but there's no death in heaven. And, and that was where he pointed out, we're going back to the original plan. Okay, so the original plan was God provided everything that man needed to survive. There was no death in the garden at all. There was no spilling of blood at all. It was perfect. And man was given stewardship of the garden. It says on the end of the sixth day uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 2, uh, it says, uh, uh, you know, on the seventh, you know, God stopped His work. And on, it says in chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work. Again, I, I think of that. He finished His work. God worked. You know, it's more than we normally picture. I don't know what you picture when you when you think of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's it's it. First off, how do you picture uh, the unity of that, and the, and and yet the individualism? It's it's mind-boggling to put it. But it says God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it made it holy because God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. He puts it all together and then He takes a day of rest. He establishes what is we will see all through the Old Testament, the Sabbath rest. People today now will going to debate, again, uh, is it Saturday or Sunday? It's Christ. The Sabbath rest was in the Old Testament was a picture of Christ. You stop your works and you come to Christ. And Christ in Hebrews is described as the Sabbath rest. He is the Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And in Hebrews it elaborates on that and calls you know, Jesus the Sabbath rest. When we stop trying to work our salvation and earn it, we come to Christ, we lay down our works, we stop working and accept His work. It's interesting that in Genesis chapter 2, God was finished with His work and then in the Gospels we have another word that is finished on the cross and the work of salvation is completed. 
Isn't that amazing to put together? I got sidetracked. The thing I really wanted to emphasize was is the reality of God's hands-on relationship with man and what He created for us to be stewards with. So as He rested from His work, He, he gives the stewardship of earth over and, and, and we are to manage it, to take care of it. To, to, you know, he says here it's to keep it, to be in charge of it, and, and to work it. That's another interesting thing about, about uh, man. He was created to work. I don't know how many of you have ever had the fantasy daydream of, of you know, uh, an unknown benefactor and inheritance. You know, I think of, you know, I grew up watching The Millionaire on, on television. And again, I'm telling you how old I am. Uh, so here comes this guy that shows up to a door, knocks on it and says, here's a million dollars, but you can't tell anybody you have it. You can't tell anybody where you got it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, do it. And, you know, in most of the cases, there was some tragedy that went with that. You know, and, and so I, I, as a Christian, I figured it out. I said, God, if, you, if I get the million dollars, I'll give you half, and then I'll just keep half for myself. You know, uh, because then I would never have to work again. Well, some people don't think I work now. Um, but, but uh, you know, it is, I love the idea of, of being a, a pastor, even though it, you know, over the last few years it, it's it's getting harder to to do some of the things, but 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 the idea of of of, of sharing in God's word and getting paid for it is amazing, and it is a it is a great work to have. But all of us are called to work. In various ways. And the idea is, is that it's part of who we are. It's part of our nature. Man, when he doesn't have work, actually gets bored. Have you ever thought about some of the, the, the wealthiest people in the world? They keep on working. Now, it may be greed that drives it. I don't know. People, that's what most people think. But the other part of it is, is that they, there's a sense of drive to conquer and, 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 and finish a, a something and, and call it complete. And that can be any part of things. There's, uh, you can work on a car and restore it. And, and, and there's a great sense of, of, of value to you in that. You can, your, your job and doing it well. Somebody says, well, I'm just in this production line. Now, well, you know, can you do it with the idea that God has allowed you to have this? This is what God has provided you to have the resources to live. And and there is a way I've, I when when you it comes to to working in the sense of of day to day job, and and believe me, I have spent a lot of time in that as well. Uh, for years, I was bivocational, worked every day as and and. Uh, the idea is, is that you, you, you feel like you've accomplished something. 
There is a part of us that's made to do this. God created us to work and, and to see the fruit of our hands and to see it as, as, as a joy and a blessing and a reward. God creates us. He rests. Gives the, the garden and the world over to Adam and Eve. The garden that He planted. And He tells them you're in charge. Chapter 3 of Genesis. You probably have a heading in your, in your Bible that says, The Fall. has nothing to do with seasons. Enter the enemy of stewardship. It's an interesting way of looking at Satan, isn't it? The enemy of stewardship. You see, he wanted man to, th- to, to think they could be owners and therefore in charge of everything. You will be like God. That means equal to. This is my stuff. Would be the outcome. To the point where there would be skirmishes and battles and and from the very beginning with Cain and Abel of, of who's in, who, who has what and does what and, and it, it just goes on from that point on the fall. The enemy, the serpent, says he was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, this is referring to Satan and so we have to be careful of how we see all of this but the reality is, is that we're talking about the fallen angel, the devil. And he said to woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did she know about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Yes. Did she know what God had said about it? Was she put as part of the stewardship of the garden? Yes. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows you will, uh, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who with her, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open. And what it was open to was the knowledge of good and evil. A whole other way of looking at what God had created, including them. The way they looked at each other was no longer the same. Their relationship with God was no longer the same. In the garden it says they walked with Him. Now they hid from Him. The enemy of stewardship. Satan. Still, even with the fall, 
and man being removed from the garden, God has still put us in stewardship, if you will, in control or dominion, in accountability. Stewards don't own it. He owns it. So we're accountable to Him. So we're to manage it. What God allows us to have, we are to manage. Now, as Christians, we're to manage it to His glory. In other words, all that we have somehow, knowing that it's His and it's given to us to manage, that it's there to glorify Him. How much of what we have is His? All of it. How much of it is to be used to glorify Him? All of it. People say, well, can't I buy a house or can't I buy a car? Yeah. But do it in in a way that you can use that house, that car, those means, those things to what? Glorify Him in some particular way. Now, it's not like we're going to be, you know, like we're supposed to be, you know, some kind of, 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 of stewardship police going around and making sure that, you know, all, all things are bought to and purchased in such a way. This is between you and God. Again, this is just like your giving. This is between you and God. It's not between me and you and God. It's not between the, the elders and you and God. It's between you and God as to the things you have and how you live. I, just, I was just reading another uh, book where, in fact, the elders are reading it together, uh, uh, written by Timothy Keller again. Uh, and it's, uh, it's about mercy and the idea of mercy in the sense of being giving and helping and, 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 and stuff like that. And he, 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 he talked and, and all of a sudden he hit a nerve because he was talking about figure out you know, your comfortable standard of living of, of what it takes for you to live and then drop it just a little. And the rest is to be used to serve God in some way or another. That could be more than 10%. Did you know how much the, the, the Hebrew people actually gave under the law? 21.7%. There was the tithe. And then there was a tithe on a tithe. And then there was a tithe on a three-year tithe. I can't remember how it all worked. But the bottom line is it comes out to 21.7% a year. Now, I don't want it to be a legalistic thing. What I wanted is this this idea that even that was a... It was not a... It was just a reflection of staring back with what God had blessed them with. In other words, they... They, they, they geared their lifestyle in such a way that they could give to support the ministry, to work, you know, that, that third year tithe was to take care of aliens, it says. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, you know, just, just watch the, the History Channel special on that. No. Um, and and uh, the idea was to, 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 you know, people who were traveling the road, who were traveling through, passing through. Strangers was another word, meaning foreigners, you know, and helping them out, this type of thing. All of this was work of, the, of, of God's people. By the way, this was customary clear up into 
uh, the uh, mid-1900s, really. Uh, I shouldn't say mid, probably early 1900s. That the responsibility of taking care of, of, of people fell, and it was interesting. The church took the responsibility. It didn't, it didn't, you know, it wasn't given to them by the government necessarily in a sense. It was just the church took it on because God called them to. It's an interesting thing that's happened over the last few decades with the church, and that is the government has taken on that responsibility. We're still paying, so I, I can't say that we're not giving our share or anything like that in reference to taxes. But it's a, the other side of it is that we are not released from our obligation to still serve somehow in that capacity. Again, looking a little sideways on this. We were called to give an account of our talents, our gifts, our work, our time. In the beginning, God creates. In the beginning, time. Okay, Time is now a resource. We're not only to be stewards of our finances. We're to be stewards of our gifts. You have a gift that, you, that God has given you or a talent that God has given you uh, to do something in the way of, of, of teaching or worship or, 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 or you know, you know, playing involved in the worship, this type of thing. God says that, that you are responsible to use this gift. You are responsible to use your talents. You are responsible uh, to use your time. There's some people who rigidly uh, work out that, and this was a church in, in a Tasket Arrow that, that we attended briefly. Um, because they were so legalistic about it. But they, the idea was you have X number of waking hours in the day. How do you budget your time? And they wanted to see how you budgeted your money. There was an elder that would call and meet with you at your home. And you know, again, go over your finances, how much you should be giving, and all this kind of thing. That doesn't work with me. But God is calling you to be accountable for your time. In fact, there's probably no more precious resource that you have than your time. It took me 60 years to figure that out. How much time you waste. And then all of a sudden you look about how, you know, you're thinking, I don't have much time left, you know. Uh, time is a valuable and precious resource. And yet God says you are to be a steward of it to what? His glory. So it's not just our money. It's, it's, it's not even just our talents and, our, and, our, and our, our gifts, but it's even our time in the sense that we are to share our time. And how we, the, the way we share our time, I really believe, isn't this idea of a set, oh, I'm going to go out today and knock on doors, or, uh, you know, uh, although that can, you, you can be a part of that in a uh, and a mission effort or an outreach effort and this type of thing. But the idea is to take the time to share Christ in your home, in your family, in your 
surrounding neighbors that you that, that God has put you in the midst of. It's all part of what God has called us to do. I think of, of Paul. He said, I've been called to be a steward of the Gospel. As we all have been. Have you got the message of Jesus Christ? Do you know what salvation is? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Did, did, is there a transition? Uh, uh, anything change in your life? No, I, I, I can't believe you know, over the years the things that God has changed in my life. Things that were common in my 20s, I came to Christ in my 30s, that some of it was gone in my 40s and then the rest of it I've wrestled with since then. But, but the idea is, is that some, you know, some things... You know, God gets rid of right away for some people. I know that uh, uh, one of the things that, that, that uh, uh, a friend of mine became a Christian, and one of the, you know, he you know, quit chewing, quit smoking, quit cussing, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, he kind of felt like that was the, the baseline now for Christians. And he felt like, you know, he kind of, kind of got frustrated when he'd go outside church and somebody light up. You know, uh, a cigarette, and and I have to say that in Humboldt County, and uh, and that he, you know, uh, and he would wonder, I wonder if that person is really saved or not. You know, uh, again, these are things between us, between the Lord and us, as we mature, as we grow, and we don't all do. The, God doesn't do the same thing to every person the same way, but things changed. Why did they change? Because you have the Holy Spirit inside you. You are now indwelled by God. Talk about God breathed. Okay? You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have, your conscience is working double time now. In the sense that you're trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. What can I do? What shouldn't I do? I can even remember wrestling with the, with the idea of giving. Uh, the, the first church that we were involved in was the perfect church for me to be involved in, for God to be able to help me get over some of my things that I needed to work on. But one of the things about giving was is that it was extremely private. In fact, they didn't even pass the offering bags or the plates. There was little boxes in the back of the thing and a couple in the foyer and one in the fellowship room where people could quietly... Put their money in the in the in the box, and and you know you do it. You know there's a little tiny casp and lock on it, so the person in charge of the money go around you know periodically and check it and all that kind of stuff. But but the idea was the giving was really private in person. So but I'd heard a message on the tithe, and I was trying to figure out okay how do you work that. So I started giving 10% on whatever was in my wallet. I'm serious, because I'm, I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know how, how to figure this out. So I'm thinking, well, that, that's 10% of what I've got. You know? and, and it's amazing how you can make sure that your wallet's empty. No, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, 
then the idea was, well, 10% of whatever's in my checking account. Now, I had a business account as well. Whatever's in my checking account. And it's amazing how quick you pay your bills. Uh, you know, uh, what I, what I, and I finally I asked one of the elders, you know, and he, he sat down with me and he explained what, what he saw as the tithe. And it got me started in the right direction. I know one of, one of the, 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 the elders explained it. He, he says he had a rough time with it. He'd write the check, but sometimes he didn't have the money in the, in the, in the bank yet to cover it. So he'd put it in his pocket and, and put it in the next week. I, I, you know, I, he still was acting in faith. He still was, was trying to honor it. There's, I'm not saying that there's a fixed rule. So I was reading the other day that the idea is you, you know how much you're going to give, but you, you cut it up into weeks and you only bring that much each week so that you're giving every Sabbath. Every, every, and he's calling Sunday the Sabbath. You're giving every, every, every Sunday. I don't think God cares whether you give every Sunday or if you give once a month, or that matter, if you give once a year. He's holding you accountable to what you have and how you use it. That's all there is to it. So stewardship isn't about money. It's about living a life for Christ. It's your time. It's your, your home. It's your family. It's, it's, it's devoting all of the time that's necessary and, 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 and spending time. Is, does, do, you, do you have time to spend with God in prayer and reading His Word? That's stewardship. You see? It's all part of being in the, in, uh, a believer and following after Christ. The beginning of stewardship then has to be resting in the finished work of Christ. In other words, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that He is the Son of God? Your answer to this is, yes, I do. Then Paul says you're saved. It's not a complicated thing. It's not a particularly easy thing either. Giving over to God what I thought I owned has not been. Notice I didn't say wasn't. It, it's, it's still a problem. Has not been an easy journey. God's still doing a lot of work in me in that area. But the idea is, is that I really want Him to. There's just times where my selfishness takes control, or my greed takes control, or my you know desires of my of my flesh, if you will, take control. But if I have confessed, if I believe, then I am saved, and that's the beginning where God starts to work on you. There's no, there is no biblical Christian stewardship if that doesn't happen. You can go to church and give all you want. You can be benevolent all you want. If this hasn't happened, 
It's not stewardship the way the Bible talks about it. I know, uh, in fact, it's, 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 it's one of those things of a, uh, two different men. If you know the Silicon Valley history, you know that there were a lot of, of what they, you would call garage millionaires. Guys who were working in electronics and hardware, software, and all sorts of different aspects of computer technology, and and uh, they were doing it in their homes. And uh, a lot of them came up with the right idea at the right time in the next step of progression and became really very wealthy. And I think of one guy; he became he was a Christian already, and he became very wealthy literally overnight. His company that he started within a year got bought out. And he was a multi-multi-millionaire. And he did one of those things that you read about every now and then. He says, well, I'll keep 10% and give the rest to the Lord. And even at 10%, he lived well. No, yeah, I mean, he had a nice Buick. He had a nice home. He had a nice home in Los Gatos. And his guy has got to go to Christian school. And I'm just saying, he, he, and, he, and he didn't have to skimp on everything. They took nice vacations. But that was the limit. It, you know, uh, when they started out, you know, it was a Cadillac for each foot. And, you know, uh, the idea was, you know, you know, what can I get with all of this that I have? And, and, and it took a, 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 con- a group of churches coming together with leaders from each of those churches to manage the amount of money that he was giving so that it went, you know, not into just church coffers, but into missions and, and, and things like that. They were able to support through his, his gifts uh, uh, missionaries who, would, when they came home, they actually got to rest. They didn't have to go to all the different churches and, 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 and stuff. They actually got to come home and rest because they were soul supported by this, these funds. It was amazing. It's between you and God. It starts with, it is finished on the cross and us accepting that. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate every time we take communion. We celebrate Jesus Christ come in the flesh. God come in the flesh. Dwelt among us. His purpose, to reveal the Father to reveal the gospel to you know to us to the, the good news that God not only created God not only owned not given not he not only planted but he prepared from the very beginning Genesis 3:15 says from the very beginning that the steward uh, the enemy of stewardship entered the picture God had a cure if you will or a fix to take care of it and it was from before the foundation of the world that the plan was originated and that was that the seed of a woman would be born. Okay? His heel would be bruised, which means he would be taken down. But ultimately, he would crush the head of his enemy, which meant not to, 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 to kill him as much as to take all of his power away from him. That happened with it is finished on the cross. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
hell couldn't hold him. <laughs> That's it. Period. I had asked the ushers to come pass out the emblems, share until we've all, or hold them until we've all been uh, served, and we'll share them together. sorrow and night Jesus I come Jesus I come into thy freedom gladness and life Jesus I come to thee out of my sickness into thy health out of my wanting into thy wealth out of my sin into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of thy cross, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of earth's sorrows, into thy balm. Out of life's storms, into thy calm. Out of distress, to jubilant song, Jesus, I come to thee.
out of the fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come, into the joy and light of thy home, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace thy sheltering fold, Ever thy glorious face to behold, Jesus, I come to thee. I was going to read from Matthew chapter 26 and the, where the Lord shares the Lord's Supper, but the idea of the work being finished on the cross is, is, just seems to be the dominant theme here for me anyway this morning. And, and uh, I think of what Christ went through on the cross. All so often... We look at the, the, the cross and we're looking through the Gospels. And as a result, we're looking you know, at the cross as to what happened. But there is some Scripture that tells us from the cross looking down. And I just wanted to share that. I'm going to share that with you this morning. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. If you are father, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They, they, <clears throat> he trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver him. Let Him rescue him. For He delights in him. Yet you are He who look, took me from the womb. You made me trust you at the mouth, mother's at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is no help to help. There is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And the idea of this is the bulls of Basham were extremely uh, aggressive. Uh, you know, you would go out into the wilderness areas and, and, and these bulls, instead of running from you, would come at you and this type of thing. And so he's saying, they're at, all around me like roaring lions and coming at me. 
I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? But You, O Lord, do not be far off. O You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. What a powerful picture for us to see from the eyes of Christ looking down. Surrounded by His enemies and having you know, that feeling of forsaken for a, a moment. But at the end of the conclusion of all this, being able to say, but it is finished and He had confidence in where it was going from there. He knew what He knew that He knew, if you will. And He was triumphant. It is finished and the proof is the resurrection. And we celebrate that every time we take communion. We celebrate His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus gave the disciples on the night He was, uh, had the last supper with them. It was the night that Judas betrayed Him. And, and at that dinner, He took the bread and He, and he took it and He broke it and, and He passed it to them and He said, this is My body. And He asked us as often as we would eat this to do it in remembrance of Him. At that same dinner, at the end of the, the, the meal, He took the cup of, of wine and He gave it the, uh, a picture uh, that we should, would recount until He comes again, He said. And that is, is that this is the cup of His blood poured out to deliver us and to purchase the covenant of grace. And He asked us as often as we would share this cup that we'd do it in remembrance of Him. Father, we come this morning to thank You that we could share in the Word that You have given us that we might know You and to, to know Your heart, how much You love us. Nothing more clearly than what is portrayed on the cross. And we thank You for the words that is finished. We can celebrate in those words because those are the words that cover us. And in a sense, once we, we accept the words, it is finished, it's kind of like it begins <laughs> for us. And we thank You that we can have that confidence that what Christ finished on the cross brings us into the kingdom of God as we confess and believe. And, and we ask, Lord, that You would be with us. Cause us to be the stewards You want us to be of all the resources You have given us. And we thank You for all that You have blessed us with. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close?